begins this season, consider convenient COVID-19 testing from Quest. Get the same test hospitals use without a doctor visit. Simply order online, select from drive through or at-home options, and get the results sent securely to your phone or computer. It's a great fit for your busy life. With over 20 million COVID-19 tests processed, you can count on Quest. So order your test today at questcovid19.com. That's questcovid19.com. Hey, today is a huge day for me, and I'm so glad and so proud and so thankful for all of you who have helped to uh, to either pre-order my new book, Make Change, or who actually helped contribute to the book itself. I'm super, super grateful. If you have not gotten it yet, please do. Today, I want to share really two key ideas from the book, and I unpack them in, in great detail. The book is 272 pages of both memoir and manifesto. You can also get the audio book, which, which I love. I'm a huge audio book fan, and I try to help create the audio book that I would love to listen to, and I hope you love it as well. But I have two ideas that I want to share with you about how I think we can make change together. I'm not going to be reading from the book. This is just from my heart, but I'm going to be kind of sharing with it from the perspective of some of the key lessons from the book. All right. This is Sean King and you are listening to The, the, the Breakdown. The Breakdown. The Breakdown. Before we get started, I just want to be clear that uh, this podcast is not going to just become a continuous commercial for the book. (laughs) But today is a huge day. Um, You know, until you write a book, you have no idea, one, how long it takes to write 272 pages, how long it takes to edit those 272 pages, all of the different parts of the publication process, the promotion process. Uh, it's been a beast. Like even just the writing process uh, and the editing process were, I mean, I was going to say brutal. I mean, something less than brutal, but just hard. And and I say that as somebody who has written thousands of articles and who who writes and speaks for a living, it was just an incredibly difficult process. So much so that I'll never look at a book on a shelf the same again. When you see a book on a shelf, just know that somebody somewhere worked their ass off for that book. And um, I didn't write it because I, I wanted to have a book out. Like, I, don't, I don't care about that. I mean, I have platforms and influence, and so I didn't, I didn't need a book. Um, I wrote it because I really wanted to do two things really well, and I knew it would take time to do it. I wanted to be able to tell my story of how I became who I am to do what I do and wanted to connect that to your story and how you can become somebody who fights for change in your own way, your own issues, your own causes. But secondly, I really wanted to unpack my philosophy of change and how we make it. And today I want to I want to lean into that some. You know, I've told some of this story before, but I want to want to really say it today in light of the fact that later t- later today there 
are two enormous campaigns for district attorney in Detroit and St. Louis. Um, And I am connected to both of those candidates, uh, Kim Gardner in St. Louis, who's one of my heroes. Uh, We are fighting to reelect her as the circuit attorney of St. Louis. And Victoria Burton Harris, who is running for district attorney, they, they call it lead prosecutor in Detroit and Wayne County. And uh, we need both of them to win uh, in a major way. Kim is running for re-election, and, and Victoria is running to unseat an incumbent, Kim Worthy, who is going literally on her fifth term as district attorney. And we're trying to stop her so that we can change the justice system in Detroit from the inside out. But I wanted to tell you how I got there. Um, we have now at our organization, Real Justice, we have now helped to elect uh, nearly 20 different district attorneys all over the country. It's, it's our primary work. It's the only thing that Real Justice does. We exist to oust horrible district attorneys and to replace them with compassionate, reform-minded new ones. And some of our district attorneys are revolutionary change agents, and others are strong, steady reformers, but they're all really good people who are now deeply accessible to us and our team, and most importantly, to the community that they serve. And that's important because District attorneys all over the country just shut their offices and often refuse to meet with people even when their loved ones have been killed by police. I see it over and over again. Like, they should be treating people like victims, but when their loved ones are killed by police, they often treat even the families like perpetrators of crimes and won't even engage them in any way because police and prosecutors uh, work hand-in-hand every single day. But we've been able to elect brand-new powerful, influential district attorneys in in five different counties in Virginia, uh, in Philadelphia, in San Antonio, Texas, deep in Texas, deep in Mississippi, in Jackson, Mississippi. Uh, we're running races now in St. Louis City, but we've also won an election in St. Louis County. Uh, we, we have helped to elect the new district attorney of Boston, Rachel Rollins, my friend, uh, of San Francisco, Chase Boudin, my friend, and and in other cities and states all over the country. And how we got there, and it took us really now, you know, over four years to get our feet under us to really understand how to do this work and do it well, and then how to support those district attorneys even once they win and, and later run for reelection. We're now having our first re-election campaigns for district attorneys that we helped elect in the first place. And it's a that's a powerful thing that you're creating institutional power. But before we ever did that, before I ever played a role, and I am I'm humbled and, and deeply grateful when I hear from all of our district attorneys that how inspired they've been by us, by our work, uh, how much our support has meant to them. But before we ever did this, we were fighting for justice for families of police brutality. And it it pains me to say it this way, but we were fighting and failing. And right after the break, I have a quick word from one of our favorite sponsors. I'm going to tell you 
why we were failing and how we pivoted and how you can do that in your own life. I'll be right back. I want to tell you about one of the most useful, impactful apps on my phone. It's Blinkist. Blinkist gathers the need-to-know information from thousands and thousands of nonfiction books, and it condenses them into 15-minute clips that you can read or listen to to get the main ideas. And I love Blinkist because it has a massive and growing library from self-help books to business books to health and history books. They have the latest titles from bestseller list, as well as the classic nonfiction titles that you always wanted to read, but never really had the time to. And right now, for a limited time, Blinkist has a special offer just for our audience, and I want you to check it out. You can go to Blinkist.com slash breakdown to try it for free for seven days, and you'll save 25% off of your new subscription. That's Blinkist spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T, Blinkist.com slash breakdown to start your free seven-day trial. You'll also save 25% off, but only when you sign up at Blinkist.com slash breakdown. Check it out and let me know what you think. It's the breakdown, the breakdown, the breakdown, the breakdown, the breakdown, break it down now. I have fought and organized against police brutality for virtually my entire adult life. When I was just 19, I was student government president at Morehouse College in 1999. That shows how old I am. I know many of you were not even born yet. But in 1999, you know, there was no Facebook. There was no Twitter, no social media. There was hardly really even effective Internet service But a young man named Amadou Diallo, who was just a few years older than us as college students, was shot and killed in New York, shot 41 times on the doorstep of his home. And he, for us, was our George Floyd. He was our Mike Brown, our Tamir Rice, our Breonna Taylor. And and the information spread in a viral way, but person to person. Again, there was no social media. And so it took several days, weeks even, for us to learn the story of Amadou. And we were incensed and infuriated and angry. And we organized and we went to a demonstration all the way in New York for Amadou Diallo. Seven years later, we organized for a young man named Sean Bell, who again was killed by the NYPD hours away from his wedding, on his literal wedding day, unarmed, nonviolent, just like Amadou. Uh, I helped organize around Trayvon Martin, around a group you may remember called the Gina Six in Louisiana. And and yet in 2014, I was not a, a, a full-time organizer. I was not known as an activist. I was actually the communications director for a charity called Global Green. And it was while I was there that I first learned about the murder of Eric Garner. It was that July in the summer of 2014. And I talk about it in in great detail in my book. And I made a decision. And that decision, seeing the video and making that decision changed the entire trajectory of my life. I wouldn't be here on this podcast. I don't even know for sure that you would know me. I mean, like you specifically, unless you knew me, and many of you may have, unless you knew me before 2014, 
You might not know me, not in the way you do now, but I was so disturbed by what I saw. You have to understand, you have to almost go back in time to understand that there had never been a viral video of someone being killed by police before. And I just decided in my heart, in my mind, with my time, my schedule, I'm going to try to do something about this. I didn't know what to do, and I mean that literally. I posted about it on social media. I asked some friends if they knew what to do. I began researching case law. I began writing little short stories and updates about the case. And in the shadows of the murder of Eric Garner, three more people were killed by police that we came to know. John Crawford at a Walmart in Ohio. Mike Brown on Canfield Drive outside of his family's apartment in Ferguson. And a man whose case you might not be familiar with named Ezel Ford, who was shot and killed in Los Angeles. And people began chanting and demonstrating, saying Black Lives Matter all over the world. And we organized for those families. A few months later, Tamir Rice was killed. And we organized for his family. Uh, in the following year, Freddie Gray and Sandra Bland was killed. In the following year, Alton Sterling and Terrence Crutcher and Philando Castile were killed. And we organized for those families and for hundreds of families. In those three years, over 3,000 people were killed by American police. And not a single family that we were fighting for got any semblance of justice, none of them. And it caused me to say, what are we doing? Are we doing anything wrong? And I, I investigated our motives and interrogated our motives, if you will, Everything we were doing, we were doing with the best intentions. We were right to march. We were right to post all over social media and create hashtags and trending topics. We were, we were right to make these stories known. But, but what I say in the book is what I want to say to you. I learned a powerful, painful lesson that in this country, deep, deep awareness of a problem is not the same as solving it. In other words, this country in particular, the United States of America, it's true even with the coronavirus and other problems, this country is fully willing to be completely aware of a problem and do nothing about it. Never before had the country been so aware of so much police violence, from, from Eric Garner to Tamir Rice to, to Freddie Gray to Philando Castile. Everybody was aware those names literally became headlines. Those names became known all over the world. And not a single family got justice. Not a single officer was held responsible. And the system didn't change. It didn't. For all intents and purposes, the same number of people are killed by police every day, every month, and every year, just like they were in 2014, 2015, 2016. And it caused me and two of my friends, uh, Zach and Becky Bond, who is uh, one of my closest uh, colleagues in this work for justice. And out of that, we formed an organization called Real Justice, where we decided if we could not fight for justice by asking and demanding justice from district attorneys who not only didn't know us, but didn't even like us, didn't care for us, didn't care for the communities, didn't care for the victims. If we could not appeal to their humanity, we would have to replace them. 
And we have now replaced uh, horrible, horrible district attorneys all over the country. And many of, of our district attorneys are doing groundbreaking work, reducing the footprint of mass incarceration, not only holding officers accountable, but changing the culture of, of their office, of, of prosecutors' offices, drastically reducing the number of people who are arrested and charged and imprisoned, uh, particularly for, for drug crimes, for crimes related to poverty and homelessness. Um, and we're still fighting. We're, we are in the early days of our, of our organizing and our fight. You have to understand, you know, most historians really think that the civil rights movement really took place between 1954 and like 1968 you know, bookended between, you know, Brown versus the Board of Education and the Montgomery bus boycott and the murder of Martin Luther King. Now, the truth is people were organizing for civil rights before Brown versus the Board of Education, before Rosa Parks, and people kept fighting for civil rights after the murder of Dr. King. But in those 14 years, lessons were learned. Um, Strategies were developed. And right now we are really only six years in to our movement. Let's hope that this movement continues for for 14 years, for 20 years, and that next year and the year after that, we not only get smarter, but we get more and more effective. If If the civil rights movement, as we know, it started in 1954, six years later, they were in 1960. There had been no March on Washington. There had been no Civil Rights Act or Voting Rights Act. And, and that's where we are. We're not in 1965. We are not at our pinnacle. We are in the first third of this movement. And, and we are growing. I think the IQ of the movement at large is higher than it's ever been. We are now fighting over budgets which is, I think, a smart evolution of our work. And, and I'm proud of where we are. And I want you to understand that there are ways to fight for change that are good and noble. And I want you to always be fighting for change, fighting for justice, fighting against inequality and racism and bigotry and sexism and oppression. I want us to always be fighting against those things. But there are some ways that are particularly effective, and I want us to be effective moving forward, and that's what this book is about. I want you to look back over the course of your life and be able to point out effective moments where you brought about real, tangible, measurable change. Listen, I've got to run. I've got so many interviews and so much to do today, uh, as always, but I love and appreciate you. Listen. The book is now available in bookstores worldwide. It's called Make Change, and I want you to have a copy of it in your hand. Uh, When you get it, please post a review on all the websites of all the major booksellers. Uh, Those reviews make a big difference. Uh, Also, post it on social media. Tag me and include the hashtag MakeChangeBook. All right? Love and appreciate you. I've got to run, but so grateful for your support. Take care, everybody. It's the pathway to freedom. It's leading to the North Star. Star, Star, Star.
Hey, everybody. I want to tell you about a brand new podcast that I love a lot. And it's not because there's a woman that I love who is the co-host, my dear wife, Ray. But she is co-hosting a brilliant, important, essential podcast called Woke at Work with Dr. Blanca Ruiz. It's an amazing podcast about women of color in the workplace and all of the unique challenges and opportunities and sophistications. And they have brilliant interviews and they unpack the myriad of issues, what it really means to be a woman of color in leadership in the workplace and so much more. You spell it W-O-C at work. W-O-C at work. Women of color at work. Search it. It's on all of the platforms now. It's getting amazing reviews, and I want you to check it out. Break it down. Whether you have your own bathroom or you share one with your family, a little extra help keeping the bathroom sink, counter, and mirror clean goes a long way. And Viva paper towels are for the long haul. They're two times more durable when wet compared to the leading value brand. And they clean like cloth, helping you keep the surfaces in your bathroom dry and fingerprint and toothpaste free. For an exceptional bathroom clean, there's Viva paper towels. Visit vivatowels.com to learn more.